0: Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. ...around the country, around the world, I should say. So, uh, I was in a gathering... A uh, couple of different gatherings this week, and one of the uh, persons that was sharing with us is a missionary to China. He's actually an Asian American that uh, has served China for a number of years. Um, it was actually one year ago, yesterday, that I was in another. We were in another meeting with him, and after that, he went to China to do ministry. And right after he got there, he was detained by the government for 41 days. Because the underground church or the church has grown a lot in the last several years, and I'll share with you about that in a minute. But, uh, you know, in China, there's a government church. And uh, in the government church, there are Christians, but it's also very political, because if, uh, if you're in the government church, you have to follow the rules of the government to get funding and all of that. And if you're not in the government church, and you're trying to meet privately, like if we were meeting together we would have to be watching the door right now because it's very possible that uh, government officials would enter into our building and not only shut us down, but possibly arrest uh, me and or the rest of you as well. And uh, the story is that some time ago, a 16-year-old girl began to share her faith in one of, the gospel or one of the villages of China, and tens of thousands of Chinese uh, believers uh, ha- occurred as a result of her witness. And as of right now, the numbers are, as best as anybody can count, the number is 150 million believers in the country of China. Amen. And uh, one of the things that we know from the book of Acts is that whenever persecution happened, what happened to the church when persecution occurred? It grew. Why? The gospel spread because the people were scattered. And so the Chinese have that, have that belief on their heart that they're, they're prepared to be scattered to the ends of the earth. And uh, the significance of all of that is that there are Chinese missionaries prepared to go into, the, into areas like, for example, the country of Iran. Uh, how many of us could go into the country of Iran right now? You're right, that's the answer, zero. Unless we went with one of the Chinese or a European, or someone that was allowed to walk into the country of Iran, so the Chinese can go into Iran without any problems, without any challenges, and they have to be uh, careful about what they do, but they can share their faith. And interestingly enough, in Iran, it's very difficult to be uh, a Christian. In Turkey, they're more liberal with Christians, although there aren't very many Turkish Christians. But I, I've still been trying to figure this out. The largest, one of the largest Iranian churches, fastest growing Iranian churches, is right now in the country of Turkey. Because Iranian Christians have gone there because there's more freedom to worship, because the government doesn't care. And so uh, it just reminds me that God does whatever he needs to do, no matter what's going on. And I, I think we have to realize that... Uh, we, we need to, to not get discouraged by things that happen in our own culture. We don't have it difficult at all compared to some of these other cultures. But we've got believers, we've got brothers and sisters around the world that are uh, not afraid to share their faith. And they share their faith in risk of life. And, and as a result of that, there are many people coming to know Christ. And the church is growing. And so we, we need to not interpret what's happening in the church by what we read in the news media in America. It's a whole different story. And uh, I'll share a little bit more about that in a little bit here. Um, Stephanie, if you could put up Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. And I'd like us to stand together. And this is a passage that we read together last week and it connects with where we're going to go this morning. Ready? Let's read it together. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Now before you're seated, I want to remind you that last week, we talked about the fact that God loves, He delights. He actually delights in sharing His salvation with us. When we become a believer and we receive the benefit of His salvation, the Scripture says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. He loves it. He loves it when we are working out our salvation that He's put into us. And in the passages that we've been looking at in the book of Philippians, Paul encourages the Philippians to work out their salvation that God is working in them by demonstrating a message of encouragement to each other. And so I want to remind you that we celebrate, we celebrate the work that God is doing in one another's lives. We celebrate the work that each other is doing for the sake of the gospel. Not only for the believers that are around the world, but for what each of us are able to do in our workplaces, in schools, and wherever we're at in our neighborhoods we celebrate what God is doing in one another. And not only do we celebrate that, we do whatever we can to encourage one another. Because I want to remind you of this other passage, Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the word habit is the word ethos. It's our ethical system. Is what we believe in. And also, considering how to stir one another, the word that's used there is like the spur that's on the boot of a cowboy. And so it's like poking each other with a sharp spur and saying, come on, you can do the work. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is to be reminded of what Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 2 of Philippians, for it's God who works His energy is in in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. His his energy to do His will. His energy to effectively lead people to know Christ. His energy to be able to pray a prayer that's effective. The prayer of a righteous person avails much. His energy to work in you to uh, allow you to be a better partner of the faith. So before you sit down, what I want you to do is go to at least two people... And I want you to say to them, I, I want to encourage you to be encouraged in Christ today. You're a partner with me. Okay, Encourage one another to be encouraged in Christ and say, I want to thank God that you're a partner with me in the faith. All right? Ready? You have to tell two people before you sit down. Tell them that you're an encouragement. I want to tell them, be encouraged in your faith and I'm glad you're a partner. Be encouraged in your faith, and I'm glad you're a partner. (laughs) Likewise. Likewise. (laughs) All right. Now, as you're being seated, I want you to think about this other question. That person that I just said that to, because I want to test. You can be seated, but I want to test how how. How um, sincere you were. Because the question is, can you really work with that person or not? Because I want to talk to you this morning about a couple of persons, in addition to all of the Philippians that Paul was praying for. Basically, they were persons that he had worked with for a long time, in many different circumstances. And over and over again, I think Paul would say to different people, I can work with these guys. And that's the kind of spirit that each of us need to have. That we're the kind of work that we're doing, the kind of testimonies that we're hearing, we need to be able to get to the place where we can say, you know what? That's the kind of person I'd like to work with. And so I want to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. In your Bibles or on the screen behind me, there it is. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Timothy. And we know that that part never happened. But Paul was putting all of his chips, banking on Timothy to carry the message of his heart. And then verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Just everybody say Epaphroditus. It's a good word to say. It just comes out of Epaphroditus. It's a great, great name. Um, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to compete or to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I kind of identify with Epaphroditus because a photo popped up on Facebook this week. It was exactly a year ago today uh, that I preached for the first Sunday here after having been sick with almost getting sepsis and getting really sick and... uh, the one thing I would say about the photo is I look pretty much the same, except I looked a little sick, and I wish I could, I wish I weighed what I weighed then, because I weighed about 40 pounds less. And that's the spirit that Paul's carrying about Epaphroditus. You know, just as we hear of one another, we hear of someone's sickness, we hear of someone's illness, and we carry this sense of fear that they're not going to make it. That's what he was carrying for Epaphroditus. And so, We've got these three examples of people that Paul wants us to think about that he wanted to work with. It was the hearers, the ones that he reminded that you need to have one mind with one another. You need to think of one another's interests as more important than yourself. You need to follow the model of Jesus who who didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. He's saying these two men are examples of what I'm talking about. And I want us to be encouraged by these real-life examples this morning, Timothy and Epaphroditus. It's very significant that both Timothy and Epaphroditus are Greeks. Uh, If it wasn't for Greek civilization, there's so much that we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have the New Testament. Much of the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, So much of the early church was birthed through the missionary journeys that found their way passing through Greece into Philippi and Thessalonica and into other places, into Egypt, and so on. And so as we go back to the beginning of this passage, and if you can put it up there again, Steph, in verses 19 through 23, in particular, verse 22, Paul says this about Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as son with a father, he has served me with me in the gospel. That, That phrase challenges me because, proven worth challenges me, because I hope that that's all of our desire. That the kind of life that we're living, the kind of work that we're doing for one another, the kind of work that we're doing for the Father, is the kind of work that is proven worth. It's worth something. Because when we do work for one another that's worth something, it makes it easy to work with each other. Because we like working with people that are worthwhile in their efforts. And I think all of us would agree, we don't have a lot of time to spare. So we want to have time to spend with with someone that's not going to give the kind of effort that Paul was describing with Timothy. Someone with proven worth as a son serves a father. And it's so interesting to me that Paul doesn't, at least in this passage, he doesn't describe Timothy as a wonderful teacher. He doesn't describe him as a devout and holy man. But he describes him as someone who will genuinely take care of you not about his singular spirituality it's about his love for the family it's about his love for the church family for the brothers and the sisters and his care and his concern he describes him as he describes him as a son he describes him as a good shepherd as a pastor he contrasts Timothy with others who were always looking out for themselves before they're looking out for other people bless you and um, there's some high points about Timothy's life that I want to point out to you Um, On Paul's second missionary journey in Lystra, he learned that Timothy had an exceptional reputation among the local Christians. He was an example. He was a model. That's what we're supposed to be as well. So that whether the word gets out or not, if the word does get out, if someone says, do you know of someone that I could depend on? The question is for us, are we one of those persons? Are we a Timothy in our spirit and in the character that we carry? His name, interestingly enough, means honoring God or precious to God. And we know that he came from this interesting background. His mother was Jewish and his father was Greek, and so he had this familiarity with the Greek and Roman culture. And in the later years, in various locales, uh, Timothy was the one that helped Paul establish the local churches. And he prayed for Paul night and day. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, Paul prayed for Timothy night and day. He says, I'm praying for you all of the time. And he carries this heavy burden for him. And Timothy has tears as they have this last parting as he knows that Paul is probably going to his death. Paul had this great hope to improve the effectiveness of Timothy's ministry. And let me tell you something. There is a significant event that happened in Timothy's life that demonstrates how committed he was to the cause. You know what it was? Remember, Timothy was raised as a Greek, which means when he's hanging out with Paul, who was a Jew, and they're ministering mainly to the Gentiles, but the Jews are upset because he's got this uncircumcised Greek minister with him. Now imagine if that was the requirement for what we had to do. Because for whatever reason, for whatever reason, Paul didn't require this of others like Epaphroditus, but the scripture says Paul decided to have Timothy circumcised. I was thinking about this this week, and I won't go too far here, but this was not the circumcision that happens to a little boy at eight days old with anesthetic and all the modern things that we have this is an adult man being circumcised that says i'm willing to be circumcised for the purpose of the gospel men just think about that for just a minute about how dedicated he was to the purpose of the cause and in the years that followed timothy became one of paul's most trusted partners his entire life was centered on the ministry of discipleship and the scripture says that Timothy didn't regret for a minute investing his life in others. And as you read the life of Timothy, especially as you go into the books of First and 2 Timothy, and you read about Paul's encouragement for Timothy as a young man to stir up the gift in you. In fact, he, he talks about kindle the flame that's in you. And I want you to keep that thought in your mind because as we finish this morning, we're going to come back to that. Timothy had this flame that was burning in him. And it was burning in him because he had a father. He had a spiritual father that ministered to him in such a way that it was like billows causing the flame to continue to burn hotly. And as it burned hot and it burned bright, it made Timothy more effective for the sake of the Gospel. That's what we're supposed to do for one another. That's what the word encouragement means. It means sometimes you need to have that flame lit up a little brighter and maybe you or I are the one that's going to come along and light the flame or stir up the flame and make it burn hotter and brighter so that we're more effective for the sake of the Gospel and we can overcome the things that we're facing. And to serve Jesus and to serve His people is one and the same thing. And Timothy is the kind of guy, that for Paul, he could work with. And if you and I are like Timothy, we are the kind of people that, God, that we can work with. We're the kind of people that God can work with. We're, kind of, we're the kind of people that we would be willing to lay our lives down for. Now there's Epaphroditus as well. Highly respected. And this great man of influence. And if you could put the... Uh, from verse 25, I think it is. And actually, I just want to... Uh, Yeah, verse 25 is the main verse I want to pay attention to. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And let's let's read with me out loud what it says, describes him. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and minister to my need. Brother, fellow worker, soldier, messenger, and minister. Brother implies sympathy we needed to be brothers and sisters today for the Miguel family. Epaphroditus was, we were Epaphroditus to them this morning. That's what brothers and sisters do. And not only that, he was a fellow worker, which means he was willing to, like in the story of Nehemiah building the wall, he was willing to be shoulder to shoulder to get the work done. Whatever it is that you need, I'm right there for you to help you with the work. He was also a fellow soldier. Which means that he was willing to fight the battles. He was willing to go through difficulty. And you realize, if Epaphroditus was trying to get a message to the Philippians from Paul, this wasn't like jumping into his car and driving down the LIE as bad as that is. This is like a difficult trip making the trip on the L.A.E. seem like a walk in the park. He was a fellow soldier who was willing to fight the battles, the spiritual battles and all the even physical battles that were going to come. And the challenge for all of us is to be like Epaphroditus for one another so that when we're fighting battles, we're not only fighting battles by ourselves, but we know we've got partners with us, fellow soldiers. But it also says he was a messenger and a minister, which is interesting. Because not only is there common sympathy and willingness to work and willingness to face danger with one another, but he was a messenger. The word that's used here is an apostle. An apostle is able to influence culture. So Epaphroditus was not just your normal sort of person. He was a person that when he walked in the room, the atmosphere changed. The atmosphere changed because the Holy Spirit was burning within him and it caused changes to happen in the culture that he was in. That's what God wants in all of our hearts, is a fire that's burning so that when we walk into the room, when we go into the workplace, when we work in an office, when we work in a school, wherever we're at, we're changing the culture as apostles. And not only that, he was not only a messenger or an apostle, he was a minister. And the word that's used for minister is liturgias, which is the word from which we get liturgy. Laying out the ways to to find ourselves closer to the presence of God. Another word for liturgist was a benefactor. He was the one that probably gave up some of his wealth for the sake of the, just like many of you do, giving up your tithes and your offerings for the sake of the purpose of the kingdom. I was thinking when I was thinking of benefactor, he was as as much as as an apostle as Paul, and he was a benefactor that actually had an impact on the community. When we lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you all, you've all heard of uh, um, Amway, right? I couldn't think of what it was for a minute. You've all heard of Amway. Do you know who founded Amway? If you live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you do. Because DeVos, you see the name DeVos everywhere. And then the other name you see is right in the middle of downtown Grand Rapids, an arena called the Van Andel Arena. Grand Rapids Christian High School has a $2 million gym that was built for the high school because of DeVos and Van Andel, the benefactors. May God bless us to be benefactors. And may God bless us with many benefactors. Because that's what Epaphroditus was to Paul and the church. Verse 29 Will you put that back up there again? So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, for he, neared, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There's another word that describes someone like Epaphroditus. It's parabolani, Parabolini. parabolini. And it literally means risk-taker or gambler. The word about Epaphroditus was he was willing to risk life and limb for the sake of the gospel. And there were several people in the early church that were like these gamblers. That were willing to lay down their own interests for the sake of the gospel, realizing that there was something more important at stake. And let me give you an example. In A.D. 252, a plague broke out in Carthage. And the heathens, the pagans, the non-believers, they threw out the bodies of their dead and they fled the town in terror, leaving the dead bodies along the streets. Cyprian, the Christian bishop, gathered his congregation together. And just imagine, I'm gathering the congregation together and we're going to fill Operation Christmas Child boxes. Doesn't seem very significant when I'm going to tell you what this church did. So Cyprian, the Christian bishop, gathers the congregation together and he set them to burying the dead bodies and nursing the sick in the plague-stricken city. And by so doing, they saved the city at the risk of their lives from destruction and isolation. There are cities scattered all throughout Europe and Central Asia that still exists today because the church had gamblers that were willing to risk themselves. Long Island needs some gamblers. The Three Village area needs some gamblers that are willing to risk our lives for the sake of people to come to know Jesus Christ, to to benefit from healing when everyone else has given up. I want you also to notice this morning Paul's deep affection and concern. Notice the vulnerability as he describes Epaphroditus. Verse 30, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What that reflects is the same thing that we remember when Jesus was at the graveside of Lazarus and Jesus wept. Christians are not supposed to be stoics. You know, when our brothers and sisters are grieving, we're not supposed to just be this strong person. We need to be strength for them, but we need to be able to grieve with one another as well. We need to hurt when each other hurts. We need to rejoice when each other rejoices. And it's why it's critical that we're involved with one another's lives. It's why we carry the responsibility for speaking encouragement in and picking one another up. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they risked everything. And Paul would say, I can work with guys like this. So here's what I want to lead us to think about as, we, as I finish up in a couple of minutes. Last night... I was in this gathering for about, I guess I was there about four and a half hours, listening to this Chinese missionary, and also in attendance was uh, a Eastern, I mean a, a Greek Orthodox Orthodox monk named Father Ignatius. And it was very significant as I was thinking about it on the way home that someone pointed out what Father Ignatius named what his name means. You know what Ignatius means? Ignite. It comes, the word Ignos is the word that means fire. So Father Ignatius, his name means Father Fire. It was a year ago that we were in this same gathering at this apartment in the Upper West Side. Upper East Side. And uh, Kathy had, had had a dream about a wall of fire around I don't remember all the details of the dream, but the key is a wall of fire. And my friend John Lee had said that that day he was walking around the neighborhoods of Manhattan in the Upper East Side, and he was praying that God would put a wall of fire around that area. And then here's Father Ignatius a year later. And so we gathered together. Uh, uh, Missionary Brian asked us to ask the pastors to gather together, and we joined hands. And others around us, the other 20 or 30 people that were there, began to pray. And uh, after the prayer time, uh, missionary Brian asked Father Ignatius if he would pray a blessing for us in the Greek language. I have no idea what he prayed. But I believe he prayed for fire. I believe he prayed for fire. And I'd like to have us think about that this morning as I wrap up. I want to encourage us to see Christ in one another. And to encourage each other to see the Christ-likeness. And when we see it, say, I see it. And what I see is a good thing. And I can work with something like that. Don't let it go by. If you see it, encourage it. We need to be prepared to, to do that to, as a supreme mark of our Christ-likeness and our willingness to lay down our lives for one another. When someone lays down their life for another person, encourage them with that. Recognize that. And be in mission with each other. We can't do this work by ourselves. We can't do it alone. We need all of us to be lighting the fire and we need someone else, someone to come along at times because they've got a brighter fire than we've got. They've got a hotter fire and we need to we need to get warmed by their fire. And we can't do this alone. And we need to make sure that we remember the word, the phrase "one another" is repeated so many different times—tens of times, probably close to a hundred times—in the New Testament. We need to eliminate any singular focus and independence in our in our walk. We have to remember we do this with one another because we can't do it by ourselves. And the last thing I would say is we need to learn in, lean into God's, the mystery of God's sovereignty. I continually am amazed at how God gives me the privilege to be connected with different people in different circumstances. And that's what we need to pray for one another. We need to pray that we have divine appointments in such a way that we meet people that we never believed possible. This Greek Orthodox pastor or monk last night he started a monastery in Greece 43 years ago. You know what monastic communities really are? They're just missional communities. Because the purpose of their community is to be a family doing missionary work in their region. Underneath this monastery, they have a fish farm. And they use it for gardens and for raising fish in order to give to the poor. And that's, that's what he's doing And what a great opportunity I had last night to have this man of God pray for me. We need to seek for those kinds of divine appointments because we never know when we're going to meet a Timothy and we're going to meet an Epaphroditus. So I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray for us. I'd like you to bow your heads for a moment. And I only want you to do this if you would like more of the fire of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about the fact that the early church was encouraged to wait for the Holy Spirit. And for whatever reason, when the Spirit fell, tongues of fire landed on each person's head. And the promise was that Jesus would baptize us with the Spirit and with fire. And so if you would like to be freshly reignited, I want to encourage you to put your hands out in front of you. Put one hand out in front of you and one hand over your heart. And I'm going to pray right now that Lord, whatever was imparted to me last night by having Father Fire, pray over me. I pray that you would ignite the fire of the Holy Spirit in a fresh new way in our hearts. Let us be carriers of the fire of the Holy Spirit. We just ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you release to us and bless us with more fire to overcome things that hold us down, to, to clean us stuff out of us that doesn't need to be there, but most importantly, Lord, help us to be carriers of fire so that we can minister to one another and we can be effective bringing fire into the places that you lead us so we can touch other people's lives with the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. We ask in your name, amen. Let's stand together, please.